choose you. Be cool, baby. Okay. Hey, bitch, come here. Got your motherfucking man. Come here. Mr. Pretty Tony. I mean, you know the rules of the game. I mean, your bitch just chose me. Now, we can settle this like you got some class so we can get into some gangster shit. Fuck being on some chill shit. We go zero to 100, nigga, real quick. Yo, yo, yo. It's your girl, Kells. I'm back off vacation. Hope everybody's doing well. I'm doing great. Uh, this is Thanks for Asking Kells Radio, episode 110. Um, hopefully y'all didn't miss me too much. I can't say I missed y'all. I was having fun on my vacation, but I'm glad to be back. Um, it's been about two weeks, so a lot of things discussed, but I ain't trying to make it two hours again, so try to get through it as quickly as possible. Um, I'm back in New York City. It's hot as hell. Actually, today is my last day of vacation. I knew when I got back I was going to want to unwind, so I took a few days. and um, I was going to take the whole week, but I need... There's some other stuff I want to do prior to Christmas, so I had to preserve some days. So I still got some vacation time. Yeah, I work for a European employer, and anybody who knows European employers have better benefits. And one of the benefits is that they give you way more vacation time than those stingy two weeks that uh, American corporations like to give. Um, all right, so let's get started. I have a yours and never two. Um, still working on the format um, of the show, but uh, thank you guys on on um, bumpers who have followed me and, and commented there, also on emails and reaching out to me on Twitter that you like the um, my rec- my recommendations and my reviews for TV and music. Um, I'm going to keep the TV section, of course, because it's always been a part. The music thing, I just got to figure out how to incorporate it because, like, I don't have time to be, like, listening to, like, all the albums and, I don't, you know, every album that comes out I don't necessarily listen to or like. I just listen, I just listen to the things that I know I'm going to like. So it's, it's not going to be a constant, consistent thing. So that's why I've been hesitant to make it a section because I don't want to have to feel pressure to, like, all right, what's going to be my music review this week? But, um... I'll keep thinking about it and and see how I can work it in Um, because people have expressed a preference for my music reviews, which I appreciate. Anyway, let's go. So, Yours and Negritude is going out to Jehovah Sean Carter, Jay-Z, for dropping 444. Um, I've told y'all before, if you follow me on Bumpers, at Genghis Kells on Bumpers, um, I've given two little um, snippet reviews of it. I gave one. Um, the day it came out, and then I've given another one, so I'm not gonna go too into it too far here, but just for the people who haven't checked me on Bumpers, you should check me there, because things are a lot shorter there, and a lot, um, different vibe there, so if you like this podcast, you'll probably like that, but anyway, um, what else, it's outstanding album, oh my god, album of the year, um, y'all know I said that about Anti, and I still say Anti was the album of the year. They robbed Rihanna, but I don't think they're going to rob Jay-Z. Um, oh, my God. Best rap album I've heard in, like, the past two years. Um, maybe three. I can't. I'm, I, my memory doesn't go back that far. Um, I'll put it to you like this, though. Since Good Kid, Mad City dropped, I haven't really been hitting the chest by a rap album like this. There have been some that I really enjoyed. Um, Drake's joint, uh, not not views and not um, more life. The one with um, 
uh, the playlist or whatever. What, what is it? Y'all know the one I'm talking about with um Six God on it. That one. What's whatever. I really enjoyed that. Um, but Good Kid, Mad City. As soon as I heard it, like I've told y'all before, some of y'all people say you can't hear a classic. I don't know. Maybe you can, but I I always when as soon as I hear something, I know when it's that one because it hits me like the rest of them don't. And classics, in my opinion. You know, and Jay Z has has said it's different. I'm not arguing with Jay Z at all. I just know for me, um, a classic has never had to grow on me. Every album that has turned out that everybody has agreed is a classic. I've the instant I, I heard it, I was like, this is the one. So you know, I get what everybody's saying, but you got to listen, you got to process. I think people just think differently and maybe hear differently. And I just can I just know the way. Classic albums, I don't know. As soon as I hear them, I just know. I'm probably in the wrong business. I probably shouldn't win the music business or something like that because I just, I don't know. I just, they hit me a different way. And Good Kid, Mad City hit me like that. And I'm trying to think between that, has there been another one? A rap album, not not an album, period. But like a rap album that has hit me like that. Um, no, Young Thugs, I, I enjoyed. I think Young Thugs' album got way overlooked. I think that's an outstanding album. I thought it was dope. Oh, maybe. I don't know about it being a. Maybe, um, yeah. Uh, Ray Murder, Ray Shrimp's first album hit me like that. I don't know if it's a classic, but like, it's, it's, it hit me like, whoa, what is this? Like, these kids are really talented. Because it came out at a time like when all, you know, mumble rap and everybody was kind of sounding the same, but I heard theirs, and I'm like, wait a minute, but these kids got some talent, like, these kids got melodies, these kids is putting songs together, they not just, you know, over a beat, like Future and them niggas, these, these kids is really putting songs together, and they really got melodies, and, and they really harmonize, and like, these kids, this is a dope album, um, that one kind of hit me like that, but it wasn't so much as the album as as knowing that those two kids are talented. Like I was like, who are these dudes? These two kids are talented. Like this album's outstanding. Um, I still bump that album in the gym. I'm not. I don't know if it's a classic, but I it made me sit up and like, who are these two kids? These two kids are different because they they're really talented. Um, and then 444. Like I don't know. Maybe if I, I I'll have to really maybe I have to Google and look at dates, but. This this album is fantastic. It's um, it's Jay's like personal. I, people say it's Jay's version of Lemonade. I guess um, I've talked on here about Lemonade before. It was not my favorite album. I get it. Y'all love Beyonce. She. I just wasn't my favorite album, and um, I you know I just it didn't hit me the way it hit everybody else. I didn't really. I loved the film and the visuals. But the album, I played it for like a week, week and a half, and I really haven't gone back to it since. Um, Because that's going to be connected to what I'm about to say um, about 444. So um, I love it. It's a perfect album, beginning to end. There's no songs I skip. The only one I can say that is probably not one that is my favorite or one that if I was to skip something, um, it's it's a playthrough album, in other words. You just press play and go. The Moonlight is not my favorite. I listen to it, but like if I'm in a gym or something, I'm, and I, you know, I might tend to skip that one because it don't get me hyped. But from Kill Jay Z all the way to Legacy, Mar- Marcy Me, Bam, I have played about half a million times since it came out. Love it. Um, Family Feud, Fourth, everything, the whole joint. Smile is might be my favorite. It's between Smile and Bam. 
smile because you know per, personal preference because of his mom coming out and everything and her I just thought her story at the end was very touching and let me just say something to that when when it, when it came out and I was like yo Jay-Z's my and I was being careful I knew everybody didn't have title and sprint when it first came out so I wasn't trying to spoil everything for everybody so I was like wow you know thank I, I was just like wow that must have been really hard for Jay-Z's mom like I didn't say anything because you know she's a lady of a certain age like um She's at that generation where, like, I can I can imagine the shame and the um and the just like foreboding about doing it because she's just of that generation where they just you know they're not as enlightened as we are now and I could I could just I know I know that was hard for her you know what I'm saying like a lady of her age so I just really I was just felt so great about it I never met his mama don't know her but like I just kind of like felt I was just really proud of her you know what I mean like I don't know her but. You know, she, she didn't have to do that. Like, you know, she could have just stayed Jay-Z mom. Nobody would have had to know, you know, that. And I just thought it was a very affirmative, you know, um, action. And I thought it was very important for hip-hop because that's Jay-Z. And we go back and forth with this homophobia and, and everybody calling, you know, faggot this and, and everything makes you gay. And for somebody like Jay of Jay's stature and Jay's age and who Jay is, to put that on record, like, that was really important, so, you know, he ain't never gonna hear this, but, you know, I, thank you, I loved it, I thought it was great, and I thought it was very, your mom is very brave, and, you know, I, I wish her all the happiness in the world, um, but, um, what was I about to say, having said that, let me, let me just tell y'all, so when I, so when I, when I, when I tweeted about it, like, you know, after a couple of days, I was like, oh, Jay's mom came out, because people started going in about, the relationship, I get it, he addresses the elevated incident, he addresses the situation with him and Beyonce, I get it, but that's like two, that's like one and a half song on the album, okay, I'll give you, that's two songs on the 10 album cut, like the album is not just about that and that was my issue with Lemonade, just me personally, I don't want a whole album about relationship drama, I just don't, that's a whole part of the reason why I say all the time I'm not a huge fan of like R&B because I just can't, I don't want to hear a whole album of you and your boyfriend drama. Like, I just don't. You complaining. I just don't. I just I just don't. So that was a big thing to me with Lemonade. It's not so much that I didn't think, it, it just, I, it didn't connect to me. Like, I was like, okay, B, all right. Yeah, okay, cool. That's, you're being personal. You're finally telling people what, what they want to know in your own way. Respect. But, like. I just really wasn't interested, like, all I knew was, well, I'm glad y'all worked it out, y'all stayed together, he did whatever he had to do, you ain't have to leave, blue mommy and daddy still together, thank God, like, bless y'all, that's all I really cared about, you know what I mean, that they, at the end, they kept it together, everybody else was the journey, and it's, uh, whatever, so, what I wanted to say about 444 is, when I, when I tweeted that, we had mad people, oh, a lot of us been new, or we been new, or, or she been, it's like, please, like, this is why straight people are so fucking annoying, man. Because y'all make simple, 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 simple things. Like, it's so hard to understand. Like, it's so hard to comprehend. It doesn't matter what you've been new. People stay in the closet not because they worry, because society as a whole worldwide, still has a negative connotation on being gay, yeah, some places, we, we have laws, and you can get married now, and all that, but as a society, in, in the world, there's still a very negative connotation, people still get gay bashed, people still look at, like, there's something wrong with them, like, you, well, why can't you be straight, and we still got people going through gay 
conversion therapy. Like, it's still a lot of dumb, ignorant shit out there. And a lot of people just don't, would rather not deal with it and just stay in the shadows, like, like Gloria said, and just live shadowy lives because they don't want to deal with it. And if they don't want the shame and they don't want the stigma, and a lot of them get driven to drugs and all kind of stuff. We talked about this before. It is a huge thing for a person to come out because what they're basically saying is, I'm tired of being secret. I'm tired of keeping, I don't know if y'all know, but when you're gay and you're not um, out, you are hiding a huge party of something. Like, what you present to people, yeah, you may be affable, you may be nice, everybody might like you, but you're, you're not being yourself. Imagine, y'all always talk about being black in white spaces at work where you just can't be yourself and you're always tight. And you're always Being in the closet is the same thing. You can't really form bonds with people. You can't really make friends with people. Everything is kind of superficial because you can't really let them all the way in because you can't let them know your life. You can't come to the Christmas party with who you really want to. You got to either come by yourself and make some dumbass story up or have a friend or, or hire somebody to please come be my date. You know, you got to go home to your parents and, and, you know, this is my roommate, quote, finger roommate, or again, get your high school buddy, or can you please just come? It's a lot of pressure. You Every day of life, you're faking. Every day of life, you wear a mask. So when a person decides to take that off, the last thing they fucking want to hear from you is, oh, I've been new. It's not about you. You may have thought, you may have you know, think you know what you know, it's not about you, it's about that person deciding to step out and be who they are and leave all that shit behind and deal with me how I am, and that's it, and I'm not gonna pretend no more, I'm not gonna show up with, you know, random dude, I'm gonna bring my real girlfriend, it's, that's what it's about, there's, y'all, there's nothing more dismissive than when somebody comes out for you to say, well, we've been through that, what's the big deal? You're being an asshole, okay? It was a big deal, again, especially for somebody of her age. Jay is, what, 47? So let's say his mom had him when she was 20, which I don't know. So that would make her 67. That's a baby boomer. That's the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s where everybody was supposed to be married by 18 and have their children and go to church and that's it. You ain't had no time for no gays. So people, oh, the gays, you know, snuck around in clubs and it was illegal, actually. That's what Stonewall was all about. You know, the cops... Hard to believe now with all the crime and shit. You would think they would have something better to do, but cops used to spend a good deal of their time raiding and harassing gay people and breaking it up as vice. So somebody of that generation is a huge deal. So That Smile is my favorite song, and I just love this album, and I just thought that was a great moment, and I was very surprised by it because I didn't know. Apparently, people in the industry kind of knew. Great for y'all. I didn't know, and I think a whole lot of people didn't know. Like, I might have seen Jay-Z's mom twice, and the last time I can remember her is when whatever December 4th album was on. That's it. I don't know anything else about his mom. So I thought that was dope. Um, The other thing I want to say that, and again, I discussed this further on bumpers, but like y'all, this I wish people could just enjoy the album and stop trying to compare it to that relationship. And I don't know what it is. I, I don't know if it's a millennial thing. It seems to be, but this this necessity that everything relate to you or that everything reflect you and your experience, it's very boring, and it's very unimaginative, and it's very whack because like. Dude, when we were young and Prince put out Purple Rain and Michael put out Thriller and Madonna put out Like a Virgin and who uh, George Michael put out Faith and all these great iconic artists, when they put these, the albums out, we discussed their albums in relation 
to them. Yeah, how it made you feel, how you liked it. But, dude, when Michael Jackson put out Thriller and Billie Jean, wasn't nobody writing think pieces about who accused them of, oh, this reminds me of my baby mama, and then go off and tell you a little story? No, man. It was like, yo, this is genius. Listen to the music. Listen to the beat. Listen to the, how those guitars are laid. And then the lyrics. Oh, my God. Who could this be about? Is it about anybody? Like, we were dissecting the music from the artists that the artists gave to us, from their perspective, what they were thinking, what they were trying to communicate, what they were trying to say. Y'all motherfuckers hear the albums nowadays and go straight into y'all bullshit and project all y'all little bullshit on an album that really ain't even about all that. <laughs> like, and I don't get that. Like, that that is annoying as hell. And, like, you, you are insufferable with that shit. 444 wasn't even out an hour, and some chick had a whole think piece on the TL about breaking up with her boyfriend, like, bitch, what? This is, that's what you, you heard this dope-ass album where Jay is dropping all kind of jewels about all kind of shit with the beats on this album, the production, the verses, his word flow, the way he pushed shit together, and that's what you get? Let me write this shit about some little raggedy-ass boy I dated when I was 20, whatever? Like, come on. Please get out of here. Like, I don't, I don't know what that is, but, like, that's one thing about y'all's generation that is just annoying as fuck and why my generation, Gen X, can't stand y'all a lot of times. Because it's like, everything don't have to relate to you, bro. Everything, it's like y'all can't allow something it's to just be without you having to relate to it, without you being a part of it. And I don't know, but I feel like this whole back goes all back to the trophy generation where y'all have to constantly be affirmed. You have to constantly be, oh, well, we don't want to make anybody feel bad, so let's give everybody a trophy. Oh, well, we don't want to make anybody feel bad, so let's not have a valedictorian. Let's just make everybody. No, every we ain't all the same. That girl got a higher GPA than you. She studied longer. She's smarter, whatever the case. It's okay. And I just feel like it's everything always has to relate to you. You always have to be affirmed. It always has to make you feel good. Oh, well, let me tell you about this dumbass time that don't relate to nothing. Jay-Z is a billionaire. He's talking about saving his marriage with Beyonce, what he had to go through, his progression. And not just that, his progression, going to therapy, how he got to get soft of his daughter, how he grew up. Like, yo, we grew up like this because we had to. But I realized I can't be like that. Like, you got to evolve, which we tell, wish a lot of these rap niggas would do. Like, we tired of having these same conversations. And then it's like, oh, you wait till you 47? I mean, okay. If it took him to 47, it took him to 47. You don't know that. He's just putting it on an album now. You know what I mean? This could have been a long process, and he's finally just willing to talk about it. You don't know it took him to 47, but that's what I mean. Like, everything has got to reflect back to you. I wouldn't date no nigga. Fuck these niggas, girl. They don't take them to 47. Girl, shut up. Shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. Like, it's an album. You don't. You don't know that. You don't know that it's, he's writing at 47. You don't know that it took him that long. And even if it did, so what? That's Jay-Z. His life is way different than yours. You don't know how long it would take you to to just realize that your woman is a gift when you got everything in the world, the best of everything in the world, access. You can get anything you want. Yes, Beyonce is very beautiful. Beyonce is talented. But Beyonce's not the most beautiful woman in the world. I know Jaden had... Girls that look way better, I mean, that not the one he wants. Like I said, it don't matter how good somebody look if it ain't the one you want. I'm not saying that. That's the one he loves. I get it. But I'm saying, like, you would never, most of y'all out there ain't never going to even get to a Beyonce, like, ever. Imagine having your choice of Beyonce's and Rihanna's and whoever else look the best in the world, and they all in your face. 
you don't know what kind of, and you Jay-Z, you the greatest rapper a lot, like, come on, man, it's not the same thing, his level is that he, we, y'all, we don't shoot at the same baskets, like he says, and it's okay, I can't, I can relate to a lot of what Jay's saying, actually, with the property and all that, like I told y'all before, my dad was a hustler, my dad bought a lot of stuff, and a lot of what he left me was from that, so, I understood Jay when he was saying that, but I mean, I ain't never bought no million dollar painting, I don't know that life, I, and my dad told me his own Dumbo story, my dad, right before he passed, um, you know, I, I, I think he maybe knew, and he was just telling me a lot of stuff, like, I was sitting in the hospital with him, he was just telling me a lot of stuff, and he was telling me, back in the day, him and his crew, this is, like, back before I was born, and, like, when I was real, like, a baby, he used to be in Miami a lot, in South America, I ain't gonna say why, but if y'all know what I know, y'all can figure it out, but he used to be in Miami and South America a lot, and he told me, like, you know, and this is, like, you know, 77, 8, 9, you know, a while ago, right before, basically right before cocaine, 80s, right before Miami exploded, and he was saying how he, you know, he would be down there, him and his crew, they would be down there, and they would see all this property for sale, but he was like, but I ain't never want to buy it, because back then, Miami was like a little retirement town with all these old country white people, which it was, Miami now didn't, Miami used to be like a little nothing, little southern um, town where old white people went to retire he was like it was full of mosquitoes it was like ain't nobody ever gonna come here so he never bought the property he was like man biggest mistake I ever made cause I was, man he was like whole strips of, of, of blocks would be available he was like you could buy it all for like a hundred grand he was like man if I would we would all be multi-millionaire he told me that story he was like man we just didn't know I didn't know it was gonna be what it was his Dumbo story so you know I related to a lot of it but like not all of it and it's okay when Jay be talking that rich nigga shit, I don't relate to that shit, but I love hearing him because I know he ain't lying. I know he's telling the truth and you know, about how you niggas ain't fucking with him. So, you know, just that's all I wanted to say. Like, I, y'all, I can't stand that about 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 this new culture we in. Like, you can't, like, everything don't have to relate to you. You can just let a thing be and just let it be dope and just enjoy it. Like, Gangster rap is another thing. You should get on our parents. Our parents should get on our nerves. Oh, you can't listen to that violent music. That's why y'all like that. I can listen to Tupac, Biggie, all these dudes talking about killing. I ain't never gonna pick up a gun and kill nobody because it don't. It ain't about that. I'm enjoying the music. I'm enjoying the beat. I'm enjoying them talking about it. Like y'all sound stupid. Ain't I don't need to pick up a gun and kill nobody. I, I ain't gonna shoot it out with police. But I, I ain't gonna move no bricks. But I rap about it hard as fuck. Like I. <laughs> Like, I got bricks in my bag right now, like, because I'm enjoying the art. And that's why I feel like y'all not enjoying the art. Like, everything is think piece. Everything got to be written about quick, grammatically incorrect, typos, not even good grammar. And the thought's not even paced out. That's another thing. All of y'all calling yourselves writers, y'all might put pen to paper and scribble out words, but y'all don't write well. And I'm not no Maya Angelou. I can write a little bit. I've edited writing. I mean, I'm an attorney. Most attorneys, you know, have writing skills. And good Lord. Some of y'all is, is are horrible writers. I'm sorry. I ain't trying to be a hater. I can't read your shit. It's three paragraphs, which you can say in two or three sentences because you're just not good at editing. You're not good at consolidating your thoughts. You're not good at synthesis. And I just can't do it. Anyway, I went way off track with that. 444, awesome. Outstanding album. Love it. Um, get out your feelings, though. Just enjoy the art for what it is. Take what the artist gave you. Stop trying to twist it into other things. And I and I understand that that's what art is and people related to them. And I get that, but, like, y'all go too far with it. And a lot of it is not really that. You're projecting your shit onto somebody else's canvas. 
and I, I, I don't think that's make you know paint your own picture. Don't don't take somebody else's picture and, and paint over it. That's all I'm saying. Okay, um, and paint your own picture for yourself. Don't send it to everybody else. We don't want it. Okay, um, so moving on, and I'm gonna save the uh, vacation for last because it's the longest part. But I'm gonna tell you about my vacation. Um, so this is the topic that came up last night. I'm gonna go for this real quick. So, if you're not on tw- Black Twitter, you might not know who D. Ray McKesson is, but he's like one of the faces. I'm not gonna say a leader because I still never really sorted that out. But he's like one of the faces of the Black Lives Matter movement. He started coming to the forefront with the Ferguson thing. Not really sure how. I just know he used to be a teacher, I believe, in Baltimore. And I'm not really sure how he got to be the face, but I just know that he did. So he's a dude that wears the blue vest. I've never really seen him off of MSNBC. And I don't know what else he's been on. But he's on Twitter. I have him blocked because I find him to be obnoxious. But whatever. He does good work. Um, I just don't want him on my feet. Anyway. But I, and and I, he, has, he has champions and he has haters. I'm indifferent to the dude. But at first I thought his haters was just kind of being haters. But now a little. I'm kind of starting to see a little bit perhaps. What they're talking about in this incident last night is 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 one of the things. So or two nights ago. So y'all know Planet of the Apes, the new movie that's out. I, I I've never seen the Planet. I've seen clips of Planet of the Apes. I've seen. I think I saw the first one that came out like '69 as a kid. Don't really remember a lot about it, but I know like the plot and the premise of it. Civilization has mankind has destroyed civilization. The apes have risen, and now we're like the animals, and we're trying to get back the planet and and rebel. I, I, the general plot, I, I, I get it, but I've not really seen any of them. And this newer, these newer versions that have been out since I don't know whenever they started, ain't seen none of them. I'm just not interested in the movie about monkeys. I just not. Um, but so anyway, the posters for this new one came out, and on <laughs> and one of the posters is like all these apes and and chimps, and one of the apes in the front has on a blue vest with gray on the shoulders, and. I missed it because a lot of t- a lot of shit on I part of my new um chakras and gin is to not worry about shit that I don't care about and not shit that I just don't care about and don't care at all. I just don't respond, I ignore it, I skip, whatever. Um, and this was one of the topics. So I saw people kinda all throughout the day on Twitter talking about racism and D-Ray and something about monkeys, right? But I was ignoring it, like, because, again, I'm not interested in him, I haven't blocked, I, that whole, I don't care. So, but it kept retweeting, it kept retweeting, it kept retweeting. So I got curious, <laughs> and people was like, it was a doll that somebody retweeted, I got curious, like, wait a minute, what, what is this? So I was like, let me Google D-Rays and the monkeys. So I Googled it, and what I found out was, apparently D-Ray, or I don't know how it started, maybe somebody on Twitter saw the ads, and saw the monkey with the blue vest, and said, oh, that's D-Ray, and then D-Ray got a hold of it, and just went and accused them of taking him, or using his image, or whatever, and historical racism, and like, just jumped out the window, and I saw this ad, and I just laughed, because, I'm sorry, I, 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 I don't know, there's people who, Naima shout out, doing marketing on there, who say, you know, they think that they use his imagery, that's fine, I'm not arguing with y'all expertise all I'm gonna say is this when I saw that, I would never I, I know who D-Ray is I would never have seen that and connected that and been like, oh, that's D-Ray simply because I know what Planet of the Apes is and I know that it's 
been going since the 60s and, and basically it's apes in clothes and stuff, right? That's part of the reason I don't like it. I just, like, I don't want to see this. And, again, whenever you're making a movie with apes, the, the racism is always going to be razor thin there because of historical, you know, like D-Ray was hitting them with historically, they had drew black people like apes. And if you've seen the Kill um, Kill, Kill Jay-Z video with Jay-Z do the month, we, we get it. We know that historical um, depiction is there. But I just think when you apply that to a movie that's already about monkeys, where everybody, white, black, Puerto Rican, is dressed up like a monkey in a movie where the plot is that monkeys have taken over and now humans are fighting back. To, to draw a distinction between that and Hollywood historically making black people more, I just think you have just done the absolute most and jumped way out the window, crashed on the bottom, and they're rolling over your guts. I'm sorry. Like, I, it's just ridiculous. Like, what are you, like, dude, it's Planet of the Apes. And he took in, like, so the thing, this is what really sent me over the edge with laughter. Because it's a it's a it's a shot full of monkeys. Like it's Planet of the Apes. Everybody's a monkey. It's like maybe 20, 30 monkeys in this shot, right? And this one with the vest. He draws a circle <laughs> around the monkey with the vest and goes into this diatribe about historically racist connotations between black people and monkeys, as if that's the only monkey on the page. As if every person else on the page is like a white person in like suits. And and it's just this one monkey that represents him that's drawn as a monkey. Bruh, it's a movie about mon- they all monkeys. Like you could have you could have circled any one of those and been like, yo, and this one here, like I don't know, maybe I'm not making sense, but I just thought it was the most ridiculous thing ever. I know who D-Ray is. I would never have made that connection. Um, And the thing about it is, like, black Twitter, listen, I love y'all, but a lot of y'all have a really warped sense of, like, your power and your influence and who gives a fuck. And I know that black Twitter is powerful, and I know that they get their little hashtags going and they'll complain to things happen, but that's because Twitter is is media, and media companies are on there, and they care about that shit. But, like, your average Joe, average people, don't be, if they're not on Twitter... They don't be knowing half of this shit y'all be talking about and complaining about and protesting. They don't be giving a fuck. They don't know what the fuck a hashtag or retweet like Jay said is. They don't really know and they don't really care. So I know a lot of people, not just old people, like regular people who just not on Twitter like that or just not in black Twitter, who have no idea who D-Ray is. They don't know him. They have no idea. They know Black Lives Matter from Ferguson. They don't know that that shit started on Twitter. They don't know him. They don't know Netta. They don't They don't know. Like, they have no idea. So, to say that the Planet of the Apes, which is a historic franchise, which, like, makes millions of dollars, oh, is going to try to put a vest on a monkey to try to envision D-Ray, who nobody knows. It's like, I, I don't see it, y'all. I'm sorry. Perhaps there was one black writer in the room where one white was like, hey, let's, you know, let's protest, let's put a vest on him. I mean, I guess. It wasn't even the same vest, though. It was just a blue vest with, with shoulders. I, I don't really don't think it had anything to do with him. They said it didn't. They started showing these pictures of monkeys from going back to six, and people were like, oh, well, that vest was black. Like, nigga, it's a monkey in a vest. What difference do it make if it's... I, I'm sorry. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't I don't think anybody outside of black Twitter knows who D-Ray is. Even less of those people know that he's associated with a blue vest. I know who that dude is, and I would never have made that connection. So, maybe I'm wrong. 
Whoopi said something that got people upset. I didn't watch it because, again, I didn't give a fuck. Like, whatever. I didn't think it was him. I thought it was ridiculous. I think that a lot of times y'all jump out the window, black Twitter, and y'all think that things have the meanings that. I mean, I think y'all think that the shit that y'all be going back and forth about on black Twitter, everybody does, and they really don't. Like, a lot of these things, a lot of these hashtags, like, they'll find out about it, like, four or five days later on CNN or whatever. I mean, I got people be like, what's so-and-so? Do you, I, I told you, I lie to people about being on Twitter all the time because I don't want them in my shit. Now, I'm not on Twitter. They ask me shit. They don't know. So, I just, I don't see it. But, you know, whatever. I didn't feel like arguing with it. I just thought it was funny. I laughed all night at that because, like, one of the criticisms of D-Ray that I've heard about him is that he's really just about cameras and attention. And I, I didn't, I was like, eh, I don't know. I mean, dude goes to the, he was definitely at Ferguson. He does good work. Like, I've heard him talk. You know what I mean? I think he's a sincere guy. I think he, I don't think he's a fake. I think he means well. But, like, I have seen little kind of things, like, like this thing with the movie. Like, you jump right on that, dude. Like, it, it do seem like he just kind of tries to make things bigger than what they are to bring attention to himself. For what reason? I don't know. But that thing last night made me think about it. Um, you know, and there, I mean, there's other people to say they don't really do. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I think somebody has to be the fake. I don't know enough about it. Um, from what I always understood, though, that Black Lives Matter was it was um, the girls who actually started were separate from D. Ray and them, and then that's what a lot of people were saying that D. Ray and um, the other girl's name is Netta that they were um, kind of. The, taking attention away from what the movement really was, whatever. It's a whole. You know, just Google it. It's a whole bunch of gossip. And they had an article written recently about the collapse of Black Lives Matter, which I, which when they started with this, we don't have a leaders. And when Al Sharpton then was trying to help them, and they was like, "Kiss my ass." A lot of people was like, "Y'all not gonna get nowhere." And that's a, if you read that article, it's just a step by step of what everybody was saying. Like, yo, y'all trying to invent the wheel, like, y'all 23, 24-year-old millennials, that's great, but all this, I'm not my grandfather, and y'all go, like, y'all sound kind of dumb, because these dudes right here, they actually got hit in the head with batons, they got hosed down by Bull Connor and them, like, they walk with Martin Luther King and, and Malcolm X and all them dudes, like, these dudes is for real, for real, I know they old now, and y'all don't like them being on TV or whatever, y'all think they sold out, whatever, that's fine, some of them did, some of them didn't, but, I mean, they really did this shit, Y'all talking about microaggressions to somebody touching your hair. Like, I mean, come on. And, I mean, that's not all what it's about, but I'm saying, like, these dudes really did it. So, for you to be trying to talk about you a civil justice warrior and you and you telling these dudes, fuck, fuck you, we don't need you, uh, you just kind of doomed to fail. So, um, that's all I want to say on that. I just thought, I laughed so hard. I, it's... <laughs> Because the thing after afterwards, like after they said it, then I looked at it and I was like, "Yo, it do look a little bit like him." But if, I just don't think that. I think it was just a coincidence. Like it's just like a monkey in a blue vest. Like, dude, it's not about you. Again, millennials, everything is not about you. Like, oh man! All right. Oh, move off of that. That that shit made me laugh for hours. Um um so we have what I'm going to call a smoking gun on Trump and I said on Twitter and I'm going to do it. I'm going to click anybody who's been listening to this podcast for some time. Y'all know that I've been saying that this was Russia since at least last summer. 
I think probably before that because I actually I don't know how long I've been doing this pod. I don't know if the, I was doing this when the Snowden thing happened. I don't think I was, but when when Snowden leaked all that information, I I said then Russia's gonna start fucking with us. We're gonna start seeing Russia. They're gonna turn up power grids on. I don't know what it's gonna be. They're gonna start fucking with us. And um, sure enough, because. If you don't know my background, I was a Russian cryptologic linguist in the Marine Corps for five years, and then got out, and I was an intel analyst and a linguist for CIA, DIA, and NSA. And I did TS, SCI, full polygraph, all that, worked in the office of Russia, then later went off, off to SIGIN, support for information operations, which is basically hacking and preventing them, us hacking them, and them ha- preventing them from hacking us, okay? So my um, wheelbarrow, all right? And again, I have been out of it since 07. Technology, I'm sure, has passed me by. I'm sure I will go on the watch floor now, and the motherfuckers probably got androids in there, and I'll be like, what the fuck is this? But the tradecraft, the spycraft, and the and the um, the parties and how it goes down, that's, I, I'm still very versed on that. Um, that has not changed. So I, I, I knew this, and I said I'm going to put clips together of all the times I've said what we just figured out yesterday, which is that the Russians colluded with Donald and them to rig the election in Donald's favor. And this is what I was on here screaming about all the way up till he got elected. Y'all gonna fuck up. Y'all keep saying all this dumb shit. This is all propaganda. This is what the Russians do. This is how they have conquered half the world. They are the champs at propaganda. Putin ran the KGB for years. KGB used to not be on the level with the CIA. We used to beat them and everything. And the KGB, he took over the KGB and made it like this premier organization when the, when the, um, Berlin Wall fell and communism collapsed. Everybody thought, oh, we won the Cold War and it's all over with. Russia, meantime, was over there seething because they, you know, they were no longer world, world power. You know, it used to be us and them, and now all oh, y'all going to treat us like we ain't shit. And then them towers fell and everybody forgot about Russia. Now it's terrorism and they just been over there staying low and building. And now here they are, they, they fucking seated this asshole, excuse me, dumbass as president. So yesterday, the New York Times have been drip, 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 dripping information and yesterday finally found an email that showed that the Russians reached out to Donald Trump Jr. and was like, hey, we got information on, uh, negative information on Hillary Clinton. Do you want it? And that dumbass set up a meeting. And here's the thing, like, and and this goes back to other conversations because when people were saying, um, you know, about Russian interference, you had a lot of people, a lot of quote finger smart people saying shit like, who cared? That's a ru- who cared? That's a distraction. These people are racist. It was racism. That's why they voted for him. They would have voted for him, Russia or not. You cannot say that because yes, there are people who are just going to vote for Donald Trump because he's a white dude and they're dumb. Yes, those are the people who are still making America great right now. That thirty percent. That's always been a dumbass that always will be a dumbass that's going to vote for him. But there's a large majority of people who on it, who believe that shit. All this, the WikiLeaks, they thought that was real. They didn't understand that that was propaganda. They were taking little pieces of fact and then mixing them in with propaganda. And they, and they studied us very well. And they know that we are a stupid electorate. They know we are uneducated electorate. They know that we are um, not a savvy electorate. They know that we don't do research. We don't read. We look at the news and wait for them to tell us what to think. And we listen to whatever somebody says. And we don't ask questions. And it's like, this is how you get Trump. They knew that. And so they exploited that. And they knew about the racism because the only people in the world who don't understand the racism in America is American whites. Everybody else sees it. 
Okay, that's part of the reason why we're not liked in the world because we go around talking about freedom this and democracy this, and look how we treat our own people. We let cops shoot each other, shoot innocent, unarmed people in the street, and nothing happens. Okay, so, um, said all that to say that it, oh well, she didn't really have information. It doesn't matter that she had information. If somebody calls you up and say, "Hey, man, I want to, I, I got a, 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 a kilo of coke, I want to show to sell to you," and you go show up to buy that kilo of coke, it doesn't. You going the cops come in? You can't tell them, "Oh, well, it was just a flower. It wasn't key." That's not the issue. You showed up to buy the kilo of coke. The fact that it was flour is inconsequential. It's the intent you had was to buy a kilo of coke. This is the same thing. So for all, oh, well, they didn't really have information on Hillary Clinton. First of all, you don't know if that's true or not. Everything that comes out of a Russian's mouth is a lie. Everything that comes, first of all, everything that comes out of Russia is Putin controlled. Everybody in Russia is a tool of Putin. So I don't care that this was a lawyer who worked for a music producer or whatever. They were under the direction of Vladimir Putin. He probably did, again, not probably, I'm sure he did that to test. Okay, let's see how dumb they really are. Let's, let's, let's reach out this way and see if they'll, if they'll take the bait. And they did. Russia is very savvy. They could have gone to Trump directly, but they probably saw, okay, these not the sharpest tools in the shed, and we don't want to approach them directly because they might fuck it up, you know what I'm saying, or compromise what we're trying to do, or this guy just says anything out of his mouth, he might say something we don't want him to say. Let's do it this way. And then once they got them and realized, oh, my God, these guys are fucking dumb, and they really don't know what they're doing. Okay, yeah, full steam ahead. And somebody yesterday tweeted, that they did a LexisNexis search, which is like a, um, LexisNexis is like a legal date, well, it's a database, it's not really a legal database, but it's usually used by lawyers, but you can, you can search, like, every article or any, any thing that has been published in writing over, during a certain time period, you can search it, right? So if you want to look up somebody's name, if you want to see if somebody's, you know, ever been written on the newspaper, any, anything, is you can search it through LexisNexis, right? If you want to see who incorporated a corporation, any kind of information like that. And he did a Lexis search, and he said, I think he said he, I forgot what he said he searched on, but the email that was sent out was dated, um, I think June 19th, 2016, I believe, whatever the date of the email was that was sent to the Trump camp, he said he did a search, and he didn't find any mention, because what the story is, is they reached out to, to, to Trump, told them they had um, stuff, they told them that they were the Russian government, and they wanted to intervene on Trump's behalf so that he would win, and they had damaging information on Hillary Clinton. This is what they put in the email, and they responded, and supposedly, and, and right after that, is when these leaks from WikiLeaks started, and the notion about the 33,000 missing emails, and, you know, Hillary had, you know, plotted the end of the world via these dumbass emails that had been researched over and over and over and over, and that the FBI had already said, no wrongdoing, yeah, she shouldn't have set up this private server, but, you know, we didn't find anything, over and over and over and over again. He said from the date he did a search, and he said that those 33,000 emails were not mentioned at all prior to the date of that email, and then after that, all the way up until the fucking fall of the republic, every day, these 33,000 emails, and we all saw the debates where he got on, and Hillary said 17 intelligence, and I knew he was, I mean, I knew he was lying, but I'm not sure what debate it was, I believe it was the second debate, when Hillary Clinton said, 17 intelligence agents, and then she laid it out, and this is Vladimir, 
Vladimir Putin and this is Russia and he stopped and said you don't know it's Russia it could have been anybody that's when I knew he knew he fucking knew because that's what you say when you lie oh you you don't and as we know now from him he's an idiot and he projects just like with the Israel thing when he dropped the Israel when he dropped that secret information to Israel and the news said oh my god he dropped this information and then later it came out it was Israel nobody ever said anything about Israel what this clown do go on the TV the next day I never said it was Israel you now just confirm that the country that you gave the information to was Israel because nobody had said Israel everybody said that you dropped some information that you shouldn't have that was clandestine that you should not have told people on the news um, uh, speculated that it was Israel and they you know did research and you know figured out who was there and what was what and was like okay it was Israel but nobody said it officially that he goes on the news the next day I never said it was Israel you're an idiot so he did the same thing with Hillary oh it's not Russia it could be anybody that's when I knew that he knew I was like these motherfuckers knew these motherfuckers colluded that was the first thing the second thing which didn't dawn on me until much later was how confident they were that they were going to be able to hold that SCOTUS seat for Donald Trump. Oh, well, we're not going to let Merrick Garland in because we're going to hold it for President Trump. They said that in, like, July, when it was a ridiculous statement. Again, nobody thought Trump was going to win this. We thought Hillary was going to win. Hillary's up by, like, 15 points, and everybody was like, dude, Trump is not, what are you talking, ain't going to be ever no President Trump if it was a ridiculous statement at the time it was made. They said it with confidence. Because all the motherfuckers knew. And I'm telling you, I don't I don't know how far it goes, and I doubt if they're going to get to everybody, but I guarantee fucking to you, Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan knew that shit too. I don't know if they knew the details, but somebody got in their ear and were like, look, we're going to win this. We're going to win this. I don't know if they told them it was Russia. Those guys are not dumb. I'm sure they probably figured it out. They all knew. I don't know if it, I mean, Robert Mueller ain't no joke. I don't know how far it's going to go, but... I guarantee you more people than just Donald Trump knew about that because they were very, very confident that they could hold that Supreme Court seat. Very confident. So that was the second point afterward. I was like, you know what? Those motherfuckers knew. That's why they knew that they could hold that score. Because think about it. Like, that would be terrible. Like, at the t- every Hillary Clinton comes in, she's going to appoint that guy. Even if she don't appoint Merrick Garland, who was very uncontroversial, it wasn't no super liberal. If you were a, a Republican, you would you would probably want to put him in because you knew Hillary Clinton was going to come in and she probably report some who knows some another RGB, some super left wing liberal. So it wouldn't make sense for you to hold that seat because it could only get worse. It would only make sense if you knew that. That shit was about to be rigged, and she was going to lose, and you was going to have that seat. So, those are two of the many signs <coughs> to where I'm confident that all the motherfuckers knew, but we'll see. But, um, what was I saying? The point of that is, it doesn't really matter whether or not she had information or not. The point is, they thought she did, she set the meeting up. Just like it doesn't really matter that racists voted for Donald Trump and were going to vote for him, that's not the point. They interfered with the intention of getting him elected, and you have to ask, why would you do that? You, why would you go through all of this to get this guy elected? Because you can control this guy, probably because you have something on him. He's been doing business with you in, 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 in Russia since the 80s, and like, and like I'm sorry, the 90s, and like Obama said, this is one thing he said that's absolutely ac- accurate. Any business done in Russia is illegal because they don't have any legitimate industries there. It's all corruption and mob stuff. I work at a bank where 
Russia is sanctioned. We don't do business with them at all. They're sanctioned completely out. Most other banks either because nobody wants because they don't do anything but launder money. And so nobody wants to be on the news or get fined however many billions of dollars for dealing with Russia. Like we don't deal with them. They're on sanctions list because they, they don't have legitimate business. Think about it. There's no industry out of Russia. There's what Russian company do you know of? There are none. They're all mafia driven government um, owned corruption enterprises. All they do is launder money. Because they steal and they launder. And they do it by dealing with people like Donald Trump. And yeah, we'll finance your building. Here you go. Launder. We'll give you this money as a loan for your building. However, what we're doing is, is you know, whatever illegal weapons we sell or whatever drug, whatever we're doing that is illegal, we're giving you the money. And now it looks like a real estate investment. Now it looks like we uh, underwrote your building. When really we're just, and that's why he won't release his taxes. So, you know. It's 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 that, that was very frustrating to hear people just try to gloss over the Russian angle, like, and even even that, like, dude, do you understand that a foreign government, I believe, rigged the election? I think if they really look, they'll see that some of those that they hacked into those machines and changed those votes, particularly in Wisconsin and Michigan. And there's been some little rumblings, but I haven't seen like complete proof yet. But we know they've hacked the nuclear power plants. We know they've hacked um, the State Department. So. I'm like, okay, you think they're gonna hack all this shit and put all and put all this effort into getting Trump elected and they and they just gonna leave it to chance? They're not gonna fuck with them voting machines just to make sure in, in, in key districts. So I think they actually tilted the election and you should care about that. Like I like I don't care. Even if it was even if it was to interfere for Hillary Clinton, you should care about that. That is an undermining of democracy. Bullshit or not, the thing in America is we vote for our leaders. If you have people that are putting their fingers on the scale, then you're not voting for your leaders. If you have people who are giving you information that is changing your vote or making you vote in a way you would not with false information intending for you to vote in a way that you would not, that's an undermining of democracy. Like, we just be every other third world banana republic. Like, that's... I don't understand how people don't get the significance of that. I don't understand how you hear that and say something like, oh, we got to worry about jobs. Jobs? Bitch, we might just end up with a whole country full of prison camps if Russia takes us over. Them motherfuckers don't do democracy. Them motherfuckers don't do jobs. They'll fucking throw you in a gulag until you die. Like, Google, read, learn things. What do you mean we need to worry about jobs? Now, whole way of life could go away. We might all be in coal mines. Digging out fucking diamonds till we die to make uh, Putin and the oligarchs rich. Like, are y'all crazy? So, yeah, that's, you know, I said this was going to be a Trump-free zone, but I couldn't let that go. I had to mention it. Get get that out of the way. So, oh, and I'll add this on the end. Shout out to Blue Ivy for her waka flocka, everything flocka, everything shaka freestyle. Um... Couldn't understand most of it. Got to the chorus, but I will say she rolled the beat and she was in the pocket and she rolled that beat a lot better than some of you rappers out here that's that's making albums and charging people money. So, shout out to Blue, um, rapper of the year. Um, I hope to see her at the Source Awards in the freestyle cycle. Everything flocka, everything shocker. Word. All right, boom. So, 
Um, let's so as y'all know, I went on vacation for my birthday. My birthday's July fourth. Um, I went to first we went down to Essence, New Orleans, in, in New Orleans for Essence, and then after Essence, we went to the Bahamas for a week. So I'm gonna start with Essence. New Orleans, I love. New Orleans is a town I love. I love that city. I never get tired of it. New Orleans is one of the best cities in the United States. It's one of the few southern cities that I really could see myself like living in. The um the culture and it's just. It's just one of those cities that's just, like, magical. It's not fakey like Las Vegas. Like, it's all very um, genuine, as y'all know. It has a lot of French influence. It has a lot of... It's it's an older city that joined the um, U.S. and Louisiana Purchase, but it has a lot of history, and it's a little bit different than on the East Coast where we're mainly, um, you know, British history. Their history is French and Spanish because that's who they used to be owned by. Plus, there's natives, there's Creole. I love it. The food is fantastic. The weather, though, whew, good Lord. New Orleans in late June, shoo, it was hot and it was humid. Hot, I could take. That humidity, it was like a monkey on your back, my nigga. Like a very hairy, um, woolly monkey on your back. Hot, bro. Um, but we went down there, had a great time. Stayed um, at the West End, right on um, the, the river. Fantastic view. Um... Walk, could walk to the fridge. Could, we were like two blocks from Cafe Newmont. Um, we went to all, but we we didn't go to. We went to um, we went to uh, Acme Oyster House the second night. The first night the line was too long, but the guy at the hotel was like, "Look, if you can't get into Acme, go right across the street to Felix. It's the same thing, and the line is way shorter." So we went over to Felix, and Felix is good, but the oysters at Acme were better. I got the um grill oyster. I had the raw oysters too. Um, but the first day I got there. I had the raw oysters, and I put too much horseradish on them, and I don't know, like, it just, it hit my stomach wrong, because I realized, like, I've been doing, I've been doing these um, protein shakes now, I've been trying to, like, um, substitute out meals, and so I didn't have a lot of food on my stomach when I ate them oysters, and so I got down there and went crazy, I had a, a shrimp po' boy, and then I ordered half a dozen oysters, and the oysters in New Orleans are huge, right, and I put that horseradish in the cocktail sauce on it, it just ain't hit my stomach right, and so I was like, I ain't fucking with the raw oysters no more. But I had the grilled ones. So the grilled ones at Felix, they were good. But the Acme joints were better. Now, I've heard about Drago's, but I asked a couple people, and they was like, honestly, Acme is, is better. And so I was like, all right. And Acme, literally, it was a block from the hotel. Like, the next block was where it was. So I was like, okay. So I went there. Oysters were great. Um, person I was with don't like seafood, which is tragic. Like, because I couldn't... If I had known somebody like seafood, like, we could have went crazy. Because all I really wanted to do down there was eat. And I wanted to get a lobster. Like, I really want... I was I was down there for my birthday. I was like, yo, I would want a seafood feast. I want a lot. Bring it all. Bring the shrimps with all that. But she don't eat seafood. So, it was like, you know, I got the oysters. But I was impressed about it because we was going to go to the Bahamas. But I'll tell you that half the story later. So... The other thing I wanted to do when we was in New Orleans is I wanted to go on a plantation tour. I always have because, as y'all, if I've told y'all before, I'm fascinated with the Civil War. Anything about the Civil War, anything. I'm just fascinated. It's a fascinated time. Um, it's just amazing to me. My grand, my, the property my grandmother um, owned in Maryland um, was not too far. It, it used to be part of the plantation where um, Harriet Tubman was on and on, on the very edge of my grandmother's property is the church, is Harry Thomas Church, the church that she went to, um, and so I've just always, when we school, I was going down there with little, we would go to the church, there's some old slave cabins back there, um, that haven't been maintained, but you can still kind of see them, so it's just always something to be fascinated with, and I always wanted to go on the 
plantation tour in Louisiana in particular because slavery in Louisiana was different. I mean, my daddy's from South Carolina. I've been in South Carolina, North Carolina. Slavery there was a little different than Louisiana because Louisiana was sugar plantations. And sugar plantations are were um, the most sugar slavery was the most brutal slavery um, and the most um, those plantations tend to have the most slaves because they did a, they made a lot of money so um, I know slavery is associated with cotton and cotton made a lot of money too but sugar was king like there's a word sugar is king because them people that had them sugar plantations were making uh, multi-million dollars equivalents in our in our day because sugar was everything even so even more so than cotton so um we go on it on the tour and the first tour we wanted to take was Whitney but they had an issue they couldn't go so we ended up because everybody was like go to the Whitney plantation because Whitney's the plantation that focuses on the enslaved we went to we ended up going to Laura which was a Creole plantation and Oak Alley which I wanted to see um which and and they tell you about slavery but they really focus on the white the, the planners the people who owned it tell you their history um and the history of the house so we go, so the first house we went to was Oak Alley. Beautiful house. The, the, the Oak Alley, I, I put pictures on Instagram. Um, what's my Instagram? Genghis Kells? Yes. Um, some of the pictures on there, I ain't put all of them, but I put the, the good ones. The house is beautiful. Like, if I ever, like, come into some money and, like, I, I would buy me a house, a plantation-style house just like that, down Louisiana, down the water, and that would be my, like, chill spot. It was just, like, going with the wind, Any you think of any kind of antebellum plantation that you've ever seen, plantation house that you've ever seen in any movie, Gone with the Wind, or Glory, I don't know, whatever you think of, this house was that. This was like the house. It was beautiful. Porch wrapped all the way around, big wide porch wrapped all the way around. The front of the house was Oak Alley that went straight down to the Mississippi. They said that when they built the house in like 18, um, I think 1803 to 1804, they built it, they sent slaves to the to the Mississippi, they got the mud out the Mississippi, baked the bricks, and they showed you the bricks that these slaves baked, that were still, like, from the 1800s, still a solid bricks, um, and they used to, so when you stand, when you go out the front of the house on the porch, and you stand on Oak Alley, you see the Alley of Oaks, and it goes straight down to the Mississippi, you can't see the water, though, you can just see the top of the bowl, so they said when they first bought it, I mean, when they first built it, you could see the water, but they had to build the levees up, so they said the first levy they had, you know, and this is about 1800, was like maybe three, four feet. You can still see the, the Mississippi, but over the years, now it's up to like 30, 40 feet. So you can't see the river. You can just see like the top of the boats when they go by. But it was beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. They don't know who planted the, the, the um, trees. They think it was one of the native tribes. They don't know. But uh, the trees, I think they said it's something like 300 years old. So they think some of the first settlers to the area um or sorry, first people in the area um, may have planted those trees, and the trees are planted like that, we found out, because um, you know, they didn't have air conditioning back then, and it would funnel the air from the river straight through the house and you could feel it, when you went out on the porch, you could feel like the, the breeze that comes through, I mean, it was still hot as hell but I imagine in the pre-air conditioning days when it's, we just sit here and die or we get this little bit of breeze <laughs> that little bit of breeze probably felt really good and the way the houses were designed it's all French doors, so if you really want to cool the house down, you open up all the French doors and you let the air blow through um, the kitchens, which I found interesting, but it made sense all the kitchens on the houses were separate from the house by law, because back then they said, you know, kitchens used to catch fire a lot, we're talking about 1800s, 
And so if the kitchen caught fire, your whole house wouldn't burn down. So all the kitchens were separate. The one at, at um at um Oak Alley didn't stand anymore, but you could see it was like they had made it into a garden, but you could see where it was. They were like that area right there is where the kitchen was. Um, so you know, we get there and I'm ready to be all militant, you know, light skinned militant nigga because, you know, we go on these tours and I'm like, all right, we gonna be all these these houses with all these white people and they're gonna be talking about these slave owners and, you know, they're gonna do the okie doke. Oh, and the slaves were the servants and they took care of them really well, but they didn't do that. And I was prepared. I had my talking points. I was gonna be militant. I was gonna have shit to say. I was gonna have points to prove. I was ready. I was like, one of you white motherfuckers say one fucking thing about, oh, well, they treat the girl, the slaves good. Or, well, white people were slaves, too. I was waiting. Nobody said it. So, whatever. I listened to their little shit they were saying. But, um, it was actually very fascinating. Even with the focus being on the white family, it was still fascinating. Because they had the slave, um, quarters, but they had put these bushes up. And the guy, the guy who was giving us the tour uh, was a black guy. And he was from New York, actually. He was like, yeah, they put these branches up to, to hide the slave quarters. Because they didn't want to see the slaves. You got these slaves here, but they didn't want to see them. So they put it up to hide the slave quarters. And then they took us into the dining room. And if you've ever seen, like, an older, <laughs> older movie from, like, the 1700s, they always have this scene where, like, there's this um, big, I forgot what he called it. It's like the sweeper thing over the dining table. And usually they'll have, like, some little slave boy up there flanning the people with a, with, with a um, feather flag. And you'd be like, what the fuck is this? Well, they had one of them in the dining room. He told us he was, but this one had a rope that went to the corner. And he was like, yeah, little slave boy was standing over there in the corner and pulled this this thing back and forth while these white people ate. And it was to keep them cool and keep the flies off. And I'm like, I'm just looking at this. Uh, we standing in this living room, and I'm looking like, yo, it was really white people in here, it was really slaves in here, and this was like a real thing. And they had like a lot of the original, um, China wear the people there, so they had the silverware there, and he was showing us how big the spoons were, and people back then were a lot smaller, like the chairs, if you saw the chairs they sit in, it looked like kitty chairs, because he was like, you have to remember, people back then, the average height of like a man, a grown man, would be like 5'1", like if you were like 5'5", five, five as a man, you were tall back then, so people were a lot smaller, so if you look at the table, the table was like real low, and the chairs were tiny, it looked like, almost looked like, like a doll, like, like dolls were sitting here, so, but the silverware, the spoons were like huge, like the spoons they ate the food off would be like the size of a, a gravy serving spoon, and he was like, yeah, this is a display of wealth, so you come in and you show people how wealthy you are by how big your spoons are, and all this time, like we're looking at all this money, and it's like all of this was made off the back of slaves, off the back of black people, because he, he told us how so the late, the other interesting point about the Louisiana plantations, and I don't know, maybe some other plantations too, but I never heard of it, but the Louisiana plantations, the preference was, most of them, well, the two we went to and the Whitney, which we didn't go to, I heard, are run, were run by women, which is quite interesting because you would think that they would be run by men, but a lot of them, the um, like if they had siblings or whatever, like the old, the old just because they had the eldest um, son, he was not preferred to run the plantation, the oldest, eldest daughter was preferred, so at Oak Alley, the lady who ran it was a lady, she inherited it from her father, her father gave it to her, she ran it, she ran it really well, 
she died, and they said that um, you know when she ran it, it went great, but she died, and she had an older son. But he, she put the older she willed, you know, the, the property and the slaves to the older. But she gave the un- older son, he was to be the manager, but he wasn't in charge. He wasn't. Um, I'm trying to. It's hard to explain, like they explain. So, like, say you have a company, right, and your dad makes you the CEO. Like you own the company, like you're the you're the CEO, but he makes your son the president. So your president is in charge of almost all the operations and and all of that. But you're you're the CEO. That's how they would do it. So they would actually give the property. The, the eldest sister would be willed the property, and then like the oldest son would run it, and then like they had a middle brother, and he was the overseer, so he was over the slaves. And the middle son is actually the one that really ran it. He made all the money for them. He had to he you know. Bought the slaves, made sure, you know, he hired the overseers, he made sure the crop came in. The older son just managed the corporate, because all of these, this is, this is, this is ill, man. This is why, this is why we can never stop talking about slavery. The, 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 all these plantations were incorporated. They were all corporations, and the slaves on the plantations belonged to the corporation. So Whitney Plantation was incorporated. So the son was in charge, they had shareholders and all that all of that, everything, every the way a corporation is run nowadays is how these plantations are run, except the workers were slaves, and they got nothing, right, and um, so she was telling us how when the old eldest daughter took it over, she wasn't as, as good at it as her mom was, and it kind of, she ran up a lot of sheep, because she was from, that's the other thing, a lot of these women, um, were from New Orleans. They were rich French and Creole from New Orleans, and they would marry these planters and go out to the plantations. But a lot of them, they didn't stay out there all year. They stayed. They stayed. I think she said that the season was from April to December. I think, and then the rest of the year they would be in New Orleans in society. And a lot of them didn't want to come to the plantations because, understandably, you out in the middle of nowhere. It's hot as fuck. You slay. They just didn't want to deal with it. So. Um, a lot of the women, even though they ran it, didn't run them well because, you know, they were socialized and they were always rich and they just didn't want to deal with this shit. And so the eldest daughter was like that. I mean, she tried, but she just wasn't, she just wasn't that good and they ran up a lot of debt. So then, um, she got sick. She got yellow fever. A lot of them died from yellow fever too. That's the other thing. She got sick. Her kids got that yellow fever. She got sick. The son, older son, took it over, and he got it back together. Like after a while, after the mom died, he got their debts paid off, and he got them going. But they, you know, they were making a little bit of profit. But then the Civil War broke out, and once the Civil War broke out, they lost everything. These people at the Whitney Plantation, they lost everything, and like a lot of Southern families did, they lost everything. And then the house was sold off, and then they told us like two families owned it. No, three families owned it. They didn't know too much about the second family that owned it, and they, the last family that owned it was the Stewarts, um, all the way up to like the twenties. They told us about them. So that was at Whitney, but Laura, we went to the Laura Plantation. Laura Plantation was something else, bro. It was a Creole. Pl- so in case y'all don't know, Creole in Louisiana is all all that's required for you to be Creole is um, you had to be born in Louisiana. You had to have like a French background. You had to be French, not American, which is sounds funny to us now, but this is prior to Louisiana, or this is right around the Louisiana Purchase. So prior to that, it was a French and Spanish territory, right? You had to be you had to be French, or but you had to be born you had to be born in Louisiana, which 
sounds funny now, but it meant if you were born in Louisiana, you were not born in America because if this is 1800, so prior to that, it would have been owned by France or it would have been owned by Spain. So in other words, you weren't American. That was the second thing. And the third thing was that you had to be Catholic. That's all that was required to make you a Creole. It's not a racial thing. That's why if you one thing about Creole, if you know, you can be a white Creole, you can be a black Creole, you can be a mulatto Creole. It's not a rep- A lot of people think Creole means mixed. No. There's white Creole families, there's black Creole families. You just need those three things to make you Creole, right? So Laura was a Creole plantation. They were, these people were born in Louisiana, they were Catholic, and, um, and um, they owned this plantation. So, again, another one that was run by a woman, it was named by, so it was run by... Um, her grandmother, who passed it down to her, her father, because there was no girl child, so she passed it down to her eldest son. And then the son had a daughter who was named Laura. And so he changed it. The, the um, plantation used to be named something else, and his last name was Duparc. And he named the plantation Laura for his daughter, and that's what it's called now. And it's called, and um, she was like the most well-known owner of it because she ran it really well. Um, and they were telling us that in two years of Laura, like in her two years of her um, management, they brought in a sugar crop two years in a row of $75,000, which is $43 million in today's money. So, and this that's just in two years. So that's just in two years in one plantation, $43 million. So you add up all the money that all the slaves made for these people and all these plantations in the United States, and you see why this is such a rich country and how this country was built on our backs, not on immigrants and not on this other bullshit they tell you, on slaves. The United States became the richest country in the world because of slaves, because $43 million in 1801 wasn't nobody making no money like that, and they were only able to do it because of exploitation of slaves. So y'all want to get over slavery, and y'all want to be tired of the slavery and all this bullshit? This country is yours. It belongs to you. They owe us. We built, We are the original seed investors of the, of the United States of America. We put in sweat equity in this bitch, and we ain't got one dollar back yet. And if you motherfuckers ain't giving this shit will burn to the ground and disappear entirely from earth forever if, until y'all give it to us. I believe that. Like, we ain't ever, like, all them souls and spirits out there, man. And I felt that shit when I was there, too. Like, like yo, it, you can't tell me it's not spirits on this plantation. This plantation, Laura, huge, my nigga. The sugar plantation, just the sugar, went back for three miles. And there was a dirt road that left from, right from the back steps of the, of the main house. A dirt road started, and it went straight down for three miles. And all along that three miles... Line with slave cabins, two families to a to a slave cabin. It was two two levels, one up top, one in the bottom, for three miles. And there was this bell that was right in the back by the kitchen, which again was separated from the house. And they would ring the bell every day for breakfast. And they said that when they rang that bell, the little slave kids would have to run with a bucket to bring back breakfast for everybody. And if you lived way out in the sugarcane, you had to run three miles, three miles every day. To get your bucket of breakfast, and then three miles back, six miles per day, to give your family breakfast. And this is before you had to get up and, and cut that fucking sugar cane for 13, 14 hours a day. Slavery, my nigga, black people, we built this country. Y'all wouldn't have nothing if not for us. Um, and it was just, it was so surreal, like, you read about this stuff in the history books, you see the pictures, but nigga, when you are standing... 
in a slave cabin that at one time slaves lived in and looking at the chairs they sat on and looking at the fireplace that they burnt fires in and you see like where it's black from somebody burnt the fire however many hundreds of years ago and it's it's I can't explain it. It's surreal. Like I'm like I'm standing on the porch of a slave cat. Like a slave stood here. There was a um these little like bins of water that they would wash up in across from the cabin and they would come out and you know in the morning and go wash. I was like, man, this is and it was hot. Oh it was hot. I was like I could I wouldn't I don't know how you pick Slave sugar as a slave in that heat. We was just standing still, dog. We wasn't even doing nothing. I was dripping sweat. I was tired. I just wanted to lay down. Oh, there's no way I could have been a slave in this. And Laura, another interesting fact about Laura, they told us. So, not at Whitney. I told you at Whitney they had corporate slaves. They had corporate slaves also at Laura, but the corporate slaves were the ones who picked the sugar cane. They belonged to the corporation. They also had their personal house slaves that belonged to the family. These were the slaves that were the property of the family, so they could will them, so I'm going to will my slave to you. So what that meant was, say your father was a corporate slave who belonged to the plantation, his, his son for whatever reason, or daughter may have been picked to be a house slave so they could will his daughter or, or whatever, transfer their daughter to a cousin or whatever and, and, and sell him off somewhere else as a corporation slave the other thing that they did and the tour guide, to her credit, she said this she was like, Laura was an integrated plantation, meaning that the servants lived in the house with their master she was like, but integration in no way means equality, these people were um, which they, this and this is she went into a little bit. She didn't say it like this, but it was kind of the house slave field slave dichotomy. And what she was saying, she was like, "So the personal slaves had a priv- quote fingers privileged life because they did everything their masters did. So when their masters went into New Orleans for a social circuit, they went with them because they were personal slaves. They wore the best clothes because they accompanied their master. And she was like, she showed us a sales slip for like." property and she was like look here's a receipt where one of the um laura's personal servants where she bought her shoes from a store she was like slaves regular slaves would never get shoes from a store they would make they would have to make their own shoes or they would have somebody make them but she because she's a house servant because she's traveling with her and because she's with her at all times she gets shoes from the store right and that and so somebody when we were on the tour was like, well, because we walk in, we in these people's house, and he's like, this is such and such's bedroom, and this is such and such's bedroom, and they have the pictures up, and somebody was like, well, where did the house servants sleep? Because since the house servants were always with their master, and she was like, they just slept on the floor. And we all looked down, and she was like, yeah, they would sleep on the bed on the floor next to the to their master. And I was just like, ain't this bitch. And everybody, you could kind of see, even the white people, you everybody looked down at the floor, and you could all kind of see people, everybody was like, man. Like, like you can see, like people that that shit, people was just looking like, mm, well, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like everybody just got quiet, like, damn. So, um, yeah. So they they had the the personal slaves. Um, 
and and you know they would take so if they went to France, which they did a lot, wherever they went. So that's the house slave. So that's where this whole the house slaves have it better, you know, come from because they wore better clothes. They bought clothes from the store, not some rags that you know you used to work in the field. They wore nice shoes that you got from the store. You know, they had better manners because they served. You know, they they were around white people, so they had to know how to serve, you know, how to speak. They had to know how to do things the proper way. So they were, you know, bougier and 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 softer. They weren't in the fields. Um, so she told the story of the so the little girl Laura, who the plantation was named for when she was little, and she's telling this story while we standing on the back porch looking. There was a well right out in the yard by the kitchen, and she's like, "Yeah, so that well right there was where you know the gathering place where you know a lot of." You know, the kids would play around, and the kitchen is right there. So a lot of slaves, a lot of activity, in other words, was by this well and by the kitchen. Because that's where they would prepare the meals at. They would prepare, slaves would prepare the meals in the kitchen, they'd walk them into the house, and there's a well there. And she was like, so one day, Laura, the little girl, when she was little, was playing by the well with her brother. And they know this story because she wrote a memoir. She wrote memoirs about, um, you know, her time there. Because she realized when she got older that, oh, this is something that, you know, people probably want to know. And um, she wrote that when she was little... One of the slaves that she, you know, she used to talk to, one of the, the house slaves, um, came by the well, and she was like, "Hey, you know, Papa, whatever she called him," and he had a brand, he had a brand burned into his face, and she was like, "What? What is that?" And he told her, he said, "Well, you know, I, I run off, and because there was a swamp back in the back in the back of the plantation, he was like, I ran off, and I was in the swamp, and um, you know, when they caught me, your grandmother, you know, she branded this on, she branded her initials on my face, so if I ran off again, they would know who I belonged to." And she says that, um, you know, she went back and talked to her grandmother. But her grandmother was the grandmother was like the matriarch. She was like she didn't. Part of the reason she gave the um, plantation to her daughter, not her son, because her son had went to school in Paris, and this was like a right around you know the um, Renaissance and all that. So he was getting all this liberal education, and he actually wanted to be a lawyer, not a planter. And back then, uh, being a planter was like owning a hedge fund. That was like the you know the all the alpha movers and shakers, rich people were all planners. A lawyer was like being a goddamn trash man. Like, who the fuck you mean you want to be a lawyer? Like, nigga, we planners. We make money. We we, we ballers. Like, no goddamn lawyer. So, and she thought that he would be too soft on the slaves. He was, a, she said, the, the quote they used was a nigger spoiler. Because he had been in France, where they don't have slavery, and it was all liberty and egality. You know, all the shit they're doing in France. And he really was into that shit. And he came back and was like, yo, this shit y'all doing is whack. Like, y'all can't have slaves, this is bullshit, liberty, you know, and, and the mom was like, uh, no. So, but she said in her memoirs that that stuck with her. So, she, the, the girl never want Laura, she never wanted to run a plantation. She just, did, she wasn't interested in it. She was, she again, she was a New Orleans socialite. Her husband, she had married, was rich. He was like some millionaire back in the day. So, she didn't really need the money from the business. And she ain't like the slavery shit. She said she was always traumatized by that conversation she was like because you know she looked at this slave guy as like her pop-pop almost and he, he was like you know the night one of the nicest guys she ever knew and and you branded his face with your initials like she was just she just never she just didn't like it she didn't want to own it she didn't want no parts of slavery she didn't want the sugar plantation she didn't need the money um you know, she was beefing with her other brother. I'm going to tell you that story in a minute because the, um, the mom left the, um, it was two brothers. So the one that wanted to be a lawyer, he didn't get shit. The, the middle son was the overseer. He left it to the, to the daughter. Um, they was beefing because, um, 
they just were. They just never got along. And so she would do petty shit. Like, cause she owned the plantation that grew the, that grew the sugar. She, the mom left the refinery to the brother. And then like, so he took the refiner and he planted his own sugar cane a little bit up. And, um, wait, is that right? No, sorry. The mom left the, the plantation and the refinery to the daughter. He left, she left another piece of land they had to the son that had sugarcane on it. So she left him the farm so he could grow sugarcane, but she left the refinery and Laura, the main plantation, <laughs> to the girl and they were beefing so he had this crop of sugarcane and she wouldn't let him use the refinery so he lost all this money. So it was a whole thing going on between them. But it all came down to like she just never really wanted to do it. So she sold the plantation moved back to France um, and just washed her hands of it, and then some German family owned it, but they didn't know too much about the German family that owned it, other than that they had slaves too, and, um, I thought it was funny, because, I mean, this plantation was beautiful, like, I ain't gonna lie, like, it was, it was slavery, but, like, the, the layout, ugh, beautiful, like, so the, the, um, grandmother, the one I told you that was the matriarch that really, you know, got it going and made it famous, she retired, but she ain't trust her kids because I've told you that the brother and the sister was beefing. So she retired and moved to like her own house, like right on the property. So she had a little side house that was like you go down the back porch, you go down the steps, you walk like twenty feet, and her whole little maison, which was like a whole nother plantation style house, just a little bit smaller, was right on the property. So she could keep an eye on them. She was like, "All right, I'm gonna retire, but I ain't letting y'all fuck this shit up." So I'm over here, and she had a personal house slaves herself, and that house hadn't been restored, so it was you know, old and kind of run down and raggedy, but you could still see it like it was like a full house, and she had her servants, I mean, it was like perfect like, it, it was beautiful land, I can't, I can't front, and we didn't go all the way back, but supposedly in the back it was a swamp that they let the original natives inhabit because again, it was considered, you know, prior to Louisiana people in Louisiana did not consider themselves American, and the, the natives that were there first, they also did not consider American, so they didn't run them out. They were like, oh no, these people belong here just like we belong here, so they let them live in the, in the swamp. But the Americans, they didn't really like. And another thing she told us that the, a Creole, you could always identify a Creole plantation from an Anglo-Saxon plantation because the Creole plantation, the houses would be different colors. It would be very colorful, like native colors, like pink, blue red, and that's how this house was, this house was painted in all these different colors, but they said after a while, like, towards moving up to the war, the Creole thing got out of style, because at first it was like a, um, a, a, a thing of pride, like, to be English, to be American was like, these trash ass people, we are French, we are Creole, we, you know, it was, it was, so nobody wanted to be Anglo, like, them niggas in North Carolina, South Carolinas was like little, little dirty farmers, as far as the the um, Louisiana planters were concerned, because again, sugar was king, like, that cotton and that tobacco that they was growing on the East Coast, yeah, they made millions of dollars, but they wasn't, it wasn't nothing like what these people was making on sugar, so these people on sugar was like the dot-com billionaires of the day, and, and motherfuckers in South Carolina, North Carolina growing that cotton, and Mississippi growing that cotton and that tobacco, they was like, you know, um, rappers, <laughs> you know what I mean, like, like, or athletes, something like that, like, they was making money, but they wasn't, like, sugar was king. Like, if you, sugar cane plantations was, like, it. So, they looked at them like, eh. 
So, um, but as as it got closer to the war and Louisiana became more part of America, it wasn't so much French or Spanish anymore. People start trying to switch to the English, and they said that. So now that's when you see most of these plantation houses; they're all painted over white, because white was how you indicated American, as you as we know, as we're more accustomed to. When you go to South Carolina, North Carolina, you see those old Southern houses; they're all white. Well, in Louisiana, the white ones—if you had a white house—that meant you were Anglo. But if your if your house was painted up in all the colors that meant you were Creole, and so they said when they came across Laura to restore it they scraped off like five levels of white paint to get down to the original colors which they restored it back to that marked it as Creole and um, they had this map of all the plantations along the Mississippi that are between, because all the plantations the sugar plantations in Louisiana were between were on the river between New Orleans all the way out to Baton Rouge and then so they showed all of them and uh, Billions, billions of dollars. Laura was actually one of the bigger ones. There was one on the other side of Mississippi. I didn't catch the name of it. That was bigger. Um, Whitney was pretty big, but but Laura was pretty big. Laura, Laura was huge. Um, and Laura made the most money. They said it was like the. They were it. They made a lot of money. Like they were probably the richest ones. Um, like again, with the um, Oak Alley Plantation, which was just up the way, they went bankrupt. They had money problems. They lost everything after the war. They lost their property. One of the girls went to be a nun. The other one died from yellow fever. A lot of them died from yellow fever. Laura didn't. They 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 lasted. The Civil War didn't break them at all because people still needed sugar. Sugar. They still had their refinery and they just kept it moving. And again, they didn't really identify with America like that. So I mean, they was like North South. What the fuck ever. We. It don't matter to us. You know what I mean? Like, we gonna be making the sugar. We Creole. So, you know, they they just kept it pushing. Um, but yeah, it was just fascinating. Like, so I went to the slave cabins and they had, like, tools out. They had the stuff they used to bind, you know. They had the shackles. And them shits were heavy. Like, you could touch and pick them up. They were heavy. They were made out of, out of I don't know what, whatever, iron. I don't know, like railroad ties. They had the shit they put around your neck. They had some of the um, old pieces of, like, they had dug up some hose. They had some clothes. They had a wall at, at Oak Alley of the names of all the slaves. Cause Oak Alley didn't have as many slaves. Oak Alley had, I think they said, maybe 50 or 60, which is still a lot of slaves. I think the thing that people don't realize is, like, most plantations, especially on the East Coast, like, you might have had five, six, seven slaves. Like, these huge plantations, like Laura, they said Laura at one time, by the time... They sold it, um, or by the time the oldest one of them died, I think they said the plantation had 150 slaves, but they said they think that's inaccurate, and they think that at one point they had 350 slaves. That's a lot of slaves. Do your job have 350 employees? Think about it. They have 350 slaves. That is a lot. Oak Alley didn't have that many slaves. They might have had... I don't even think they had half of that, but they had the names of the slaves on the wall, just first names, no last names, and um, Oak Alley is where um, they have a plaque for the slave that was named Antoine, he's the guy that grafted the pecans with super soft shell, there's a certain kind of pecan, when you go down New Orleans, you see it everywhere, and um, you basically, it's so soft, you put it in your hand and the shell just comes off. He grafted that, but of course he was a slave. He didn't get the patent. He didn't get no money for that. Like, imagine if like his family would have got the the, the patent or the, or the money from that. They'd be you know rich now. But no, his labor goes to the slave master. So they not only got that, 
they got the goddamn money from Antoine who grafted these pecans. A horrible business, an evil business. The other thing at Laura, y'all know the Briar Rabbit stories? They got that from Laura. So some white person was down, you know, on Laura and heard these black people from wherever they were in Africa telling these stories, and he put them into a book called Briar Rabbit. And they said that the story is that these Briar Rabbit stories that this guy wrote, this white guy wrote that he took from the slaves, they're identical to the same stories that they, that what is the Aesop fables or whatever, the version they tell in Africa, wherever them slaves are from, it's the exact same version, unchanged. So they just took these people, whole culture, white man write a book, and he probably still making millions of dollars off the, off the rights to that. See, they, man, this country, y'all, listen, Y'all motherfuckers want to talk about that? We don't want to talk about slavery. Slavery is over. Okay. Every dysfunctional thing in this country goes back to slavery. The original sin. That's why we can't get right. Because of the fucking horrid, evil shit that happened prior to 1861 and everything after. But like, son, we got robbed so bad. Like, everything. We built this country. We built, we picked the cotton, we picked the sugar, we picked the tobacco, we picked the rice in the Carolinas. This is an agrarian nation. Everything back then, we didn't have no iPhones, we didn't have no Verizon and all that shit. Everything here was wheat, corn, cotton, sugar, tobacco. Sugar, tobacco, cotton, really, is how the United States became rich. Slaves. So, sit down, sit on that for a minute. Alright, so, Left New Orleans, Essence was great, by the way, went to see Diana Ross the first night, John Legend, um, the second night was like the Black Girl Magic Night, I ain't care, I just wanted to see Diana Ross, I was cool at the first night, person I went with had tickets for the third night because wanted to see Escape, but we didn't even make it because we were supposed to go on the, the plantation tour Saturday because that was our day of nothing going on. We were just going to walk around and do stuff, but it got canceled and we had to take it Sunday. And because, again, it was so hot, it just, ugh, it just, I can't explain, I can't even explain the heat, but it drained everything out of us. So by the time we got back, we took it, we slept in that hole. We just slept. Like, we slept all through that escape concert. And I was like, look, if you want to go, I, I, you know, let's just go. Let's set the alarm. But both both of us was like, we going to go. But we was just kind of like, whatever. Turns out, good thing we didn't go because we heard from everybody that nobody could get in because they had escape in the side part, which I don't know. Like, the amount of people that showed up there to see escape, they really could have been on the main stage. Somebody said maybe they got together too late to book them on the main stage, but I mean I heard that third day they had the No Limit show, and they was like, people all the people that went was like, yo, no no disrespect, but a lot of them No Limit people we ain't need to see, and they could have they could have had Escape on that main stage, and had some of them No Limit people on the side cause some of that shit was just who cared, so we didn't go, but turns out we probably wouldn't have gotten in anyway, cause everybody was like, yeah it got full, and they turned people away, and people was just stuck in the hallway, so thank God we missed that so we flew out New Orleans to the Bahamas. Now I have been to the Caribbean before. I've been to Bermuda. I've been to um, uh, 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 DR, and I've been to um, what that other island? Um, Saint Martin or Mar? One of them Saint ones. We was I was little. I can't remember. My dad took me um, when I was a baby. Um, but I had never been to the Bahamas, and I never really. I don't know, like, I, I just, the Bahamas is just was always so close. It was never like, it was just one of them places where you just feel like you can go anytime. So I had never been. So we went to go to the Bahamas. 
Um, and we get there. And um, I didn't realize it was as close to Miami as it was. It's like 45 minutes off of Miami. Um, we get there. It's it's The weather is really nice. It's hot, but it's not humid like New Orleans. It was like... It was really nice. It was it was hot, but it wasn't never uncomfortable. Not like New Orleans was, where you just wanted to die. Um, but I gotta say, it was a little bit overrated and overpriced. And um, I was I, we was trying to so we stayed at the um we didn't stay at the Atlantis All Inclusive because we probably I mean I don't know it was cool but like we were like the Atlantis All Inclusive is on the island and everything there you do in the hotel. And we were like, well, we go to Bahamas, you know, we don't want to just be in a hotel. So we and we stayed at the Marriott, which was in the middle of the island. So you got the sandals on the one side of the island where nobody goes to. And you have the Atlantis on the other side of the island where the rich people are. And then you have where well, we stayed at, um, what's it, Junkanoo Beach? We stayed at the Marriott. Actually, very good location because we were not that far from Atlantis. We were five-minute walk from downtown. It was a good location. We didn't want to do the all-inclusive because, number one, I don't gamble. I don't care about the thing. And we were just like, we want to go out in a town and eat. So, you know, that all-inclusive, they give you the food and everything right there. So, I don't know. Now now that we know what we know, maybe we should have probably did that. But whatever. We went. We ended up going over there anyway for the day. So, we got the water park, which was really fun on my birthday, actually. Went over there. Went through the water park. Got on the beach. It was really fun. It was nice. Like, I see why people do it. It was really, really nice. Um, and the water park was fun. I didn't think it was going to be that fun. It really was. Um, we went on the inner tubes. It was dope. So, but, like, I, I was hyped to go to Bahamas. I'm like, oh, because I've been to the islands before. You know, the fresh seafood, they pull it right out the water. I was like, y'all want a lobster? Because I didn't get one in New Orleans, but I wasn't sweating. It's like, we're going to be in the Bahamas. Seafood going to be everywhere. Wasn't a lot of seafood for this to be an island. Most of it was fried. It wasn't a whole lot of fresh seafood. We went to this one place. This girl, this lady, told us to go called the Fish Fry. Service was terrible. Everywhere we went, everywhere we went, gratuity was included. It was the um, VAT tax, which was seven point five, and the fifteen percent gratuity was included on the tab wherever you went. And service was terrible. We didn't get nobody extra nowhere we went because it was horrible service. And I'm not getting into the tip argument, but one thing I've always said about this mandatory tip thing is that tip gratuity is extra for service. And I'm never not gonna tip, but if your service is not great, I'm not giving you 20%. I don't care. I'll give you 15 or I'll give you some percentage of the tax. But if I'm sitting there all day and you're not coming to check on me, you're not getting my water. I mean, this, this one place we went to, the first place we went to wasn't so bad, but it's like they come take your order, and they just never come back. We had to keep flagging her down, can we get some water, you know. Then when she bring the food, it was it was wrong. Like, I had ordered mac and cheese, she bought me rice and peas, and I normally would have said, hey, this ain't what I ordered, but, I mean, they drop your plate and go away so fast, and they never come back. So I was like, well, I might as well just eat this. Service was terrible. Then we went to the second place, and, you know, I was like, okay, because the first time we went, I wanted the lobster, but I didn't. Oh, this is the other thing. Everything on the island is cash, but they don't have no ATMs. Like, nowhere. The, ho- the, AT- the hotel didn't have an ATM. I was like, what the hell? Nobody had an ATM. Um, and then the, they had one ATM downtown, and everybody, the people coming off the cruise ships, the people coming from wherever, all waiting in line for ATM. They got two ATMs. One is local currency only. The other is, Amer- is U.S. dollars. So the line for the one machine, is it's ridiculous. We like, yo, dude, 
y'all an island with all cash, nobody takes card, and you ain't got no ATMs nowhere, and nobody has any change either, I was on the beach, we went to the, um, this one day we went to the beach on the other side, and I, the lady was selling chips and water on the beach, how you selling things you don't have no change, all I had was a five, the soda, I, I got a bottle of water and chips, it was two fifty. She like, you don't have nothing smaller than five, what's smaller than five, ones? No, I don't have the. You don't have change. Well, not that kind of change. What kind of change says two dollars and fifty cent? I ain't asking you to break a hundred. So you know, it was just that was frustrating because we didn't have cash, and if we didn't knew that, we would have got cash before we showed up. But we didn't. We was there with cars, and it was no ATM. So the first time I couldn't get the lobster because we had the, the cash. I was like, well, how much you got? How much she had? We had like seventy. So we was like, all right, we. I ain't, the lobster was gonna be like forty, and we wanted to drink. So we go to the second place, we got cash. We went downtown, we waited, we got the cash. So I'm like, all right, I wanted to get this lobster. I get the lobster. Shit was $37, dog. It was like them little lobster tails they give you at Red Lobster. It was not a lobster. It was it was grilled lobster. It was dry, and it had no butter. It was just a little tail. Oh, it was overrated. All the food there was overrated. It was fried. I had the food in New Orleans. The seafood and the food period in New Orleans was way better than in the Bahamas. Way better. It was so overrated. We ended up just like eating wing at, at the hotel most times because the hotel had like um, these really good wings, and they had you, you two free drinks, and then after that they had five dollars specials for happy hour. So we just ate a whole lot at the hotel because it was like, the fuck is this? Way overrated, way overpriced, and the other thing I noticed, and I couldn't put my finger on it, and but when I when I was down there, I was tweeting, and some of y'all was tweeting me back how the Bahamas is overrated, and they don't really like serving black people, and I was trying not to say, see, I wasn't sure because I'm light skin, she light skin, she's Mexican, I don't necessarily, I mean, I'm we clearly were Americans, but I'm not dark skin, so I was like, I don't know if it's because we black, and then I still wasn't sure, because the first night, I noticed there was some white people also, she had them waiting forever, I think it was just, I don't know if it was a black thing, again, I'm not dark skin, I can't say, but I noticed it, it might have been an American thing, because all us and that other two couple had us waiting, um, and like the second time, it was just t- like she would come to the table, and like we would be like, "Yo, can usually you come to the table, and you know you ain't been there in twenty, twenty five minutes." You would see whatever we was like, "Yo, can we get some water?" Oh, you want water? She take right off, like yo. So we had our plates. First of all, I ordered corn fritters, not conch fritters. If I see, if I don't see another everything down there, you want a conch fritter? You want a conch fritter? No. I don't want to come fritter. So I ordered corn fritter. And and this is what really pissed me off because she said, I said corn fritter. She was like, oh, you want the corn, not the conch. Yes. Brings out conch fritters. So she brings them out. She sits them down. She runs off quick. So I look at it, and I'm like, I don't think that's conch. So, you know, they don't come back to the table. So we wait in 15, 20 minutes. She finally comes back. Had, no, actually, we had to grab the bus boy. I was like, can you tell her to please, this is not what we ordered. Can you tell her to please come back? And I know, and I noticed the other waiters at the other tables. She was just horrible. The other waiters at the other tables were not as bad as her. The dude, the couple next to us had a dude. He was back and forth, good, you know, like he should have been. So was the other lady. Our lady was just horrible, and I just don't know what it was. So she comes again. She takes the um comfort, but if she took so long, I was like, you know what? I don't even want it no more. Meanwhile, um, 
LaFrey had ordered, I forgot what, but she had that plate there, and then while we was waiting, a fly landed in the ketchup. So we put that plate there, we put another plate. This plate is on the edge of the table. Waitress, you come, you see three plates piled up in glass on the edge of the table. You're supposed to take that shit. This woman came back three or four times, never even took it. One time, she came to put down the wrong order, moved the plates out the way, but didn't take them. Finally, we was like, can you please take the plates? Oh, you went, and like, she would just take the plates and run off. Then, my friend wanted a refill. Like, can we get a refill of the soda? You want a refill? Yes. Another half an hour, she came back with the food. We was like, still no refill. She Then she comes with the bigger soda, like, the soda in like a bigger um, glass. So we get the bill, and she charges for like three sodas. We like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. First, and the Kong Fritters was on the bill. We like, we ordered the Kong Fritters. I told you to take that off. Take that off, and then you charge us for three sodas. All we asked for was a refill. Take that off. Like, service was horrible. So, yo, Bahamas, I'm sorry, overrated, overpriced. That food was not that great. It was all fried. It was nothing spectacular. Even the jerk chicken I got, and I don't know if maybe it was because they used the Taurus. It was not spicy. It was not jerk. It was okay. Like, it had the vinegary taste. But it was not spicy like jerk chicken supposed to be. That was some Caucasian jerk chicken. And I was saying, I was like, this is probably because, you know, they got these people coming off the cruise ships and all these white people, and so they probably don't make it. But I've had real jerk chicken before from the islands, and it, that wasn't it. Um, so, yeah, boo on the Bahamas. We, we had fun. We had a great time. But I was like, yeah, we don't need to come back here again. That's an island. You know, we said we did it. We'll never need to go back. We'll go to the islands. We'll go somewhere else. Um, way overrated. Um, yeah, so that's it. Um, that was my birthday. That's what I did. Um, I had a great time. Um, and we went for the perfect amount of time too, because like around, we left on Sunday and like around Saturday, I was like, all right. Um, not that I'm rushing to get back to work, but I was like ready, ready to go home. You know what I mean? Um, we went on a party boat when we was in the Bahamas. We went jet skiing, but we got jerked out of that because, um, it was disorganized. They gave us some money back, so I'm not going to drag them too much. But babe, it was just disorganized. It was not run right. I was a little upset, but we got our money back. Then the hotel tried to fuck us over. So Marriott in the Bahamas, fuck y'all. We're going to get our money back. Um, so we when we get there, you know how these fucking banks put this fucking some of them, not mine, her bank. They put a limit on your card so you can only spend so much over the day. Well, she had one on the card, didn't know about it. So we get to the hotel, we couldn't put the full price on the card. So what we ended up doing was put, because it was like a $1,000 a day limit or whatever. Um, and I was like, well, that's something they should have told you when you called them and let them know you. Because I called my bank to let them know I was traveling because I didn't want to have no problems using my card. Hey, I'm going to be in the Bahamas. I'm going to be in New Orleans letting my shit through. But I, don't, I have a credit union. I don't fuck around with these banks. They don't have no limit, no shit like that on my card. So... We ended up breaking it up. So we like, okay, put the first four days on, and then we'll come back tomorrow and pay the balance. So that's what we do. We put the first thing in. We came down the next day on our way out to the boat, and we paid the balance. They rang us up, printed out the receipts, paid it. Cool. The night we going to leave, um, some other lady was there talking about, oh, well, you didn't pay for the last night. And she's like, no, we paid the balance. Um, you know, such and such night, I said, go get the receipts, we got the receipts, from the um, time we stayed to the time we left, we paid what we paid, so, 
we going back and forth. This lady, first of all, we was like, well, we need to speak to the manager because we have receipts here. She's talking, well, I can print up the bill. And I'm like, sis, you can print up whatever you want to. When we came down here and paid, we printed up the bill and we paid in full. And we have receipts here. So I don't, whatever you have on your computer, I don't care about because we paid this. We Here's the receipt that you gave us that shows that we paid. So I don't know what you're talking about today that you can print out the bill. I don't give a fuck about your bill because this is after the fact and we paid y'all. They printed the bill yesterday. She was trying to say that the girl, somebody, well, somebody must have made a mistake. Somebody must have, not us. Mistake was made by y'all. We done spent almost $3,000 in this hotel. So whoever the mistake was, it's on y'all. Y'all need to just, whatever y'all got to do, figure it out. We're not paying you no more money. So it's late at night. The manager, and it wasn't his fault. The um, concierge, he just his job, you know, is just trying to smooth us over. He coming first. He says it's the car. And I'm like, look, sir, and I'm staying calm because whatever. He's talking about, well, when you split the card, I'm like, when you use a different card, I'm like, sir, we did not use a different card. We, her card had to travel on it. We split the days. And she, he just kept coming up with these stories about how we didn't pay the last day. And I'm letting him talk because, again, it ain't his fault. He's just doing what she tell, what this ignorant lady over here is telling him to do. And I didn't like her at all. But I was like, sir, look. None of this you're saying matters. I don't care what you're saying about the card. I don't care what you're saying about your employee made a mistake. I don't know. You saying she made a mistake today. How I know y'all not making a mistake. I have a receipt here. I have a piece of paper here signed by us and signed by you with our stay showing that we paid in full. So he's looking at the printout. Oh, this printout only goes to the 7th. I'm like, no. The printout might go to the 7th, but this here receipt here that we signed goes to tomorrow the day we're leaving so finally we going back and forth back and forth on this so then they like okay well um so she's like i don't know flipping out and on the phone with, i said call corporate and, and see what they say so she's on the phone with corporate and she's going into the i'm an attorney stuff and i'm kind of looking at her like this that's just chill that and got just chill out so because i already know what's going to happen we're gonna I, I already had decided okay this is what we should do Go ahead and pay them this last night. We have our receipt. We're going to win because we have the receipt that shows that we paid. Go ahead and pay them. Call corporate. Let them know what happened. Send them receipt. They're going to reimburse you. That's what's going to happen. Dude that's with us, he like, honestly, that's probably what's going to happen too because she said you got to leave the hotel tonight. So now that made me mad. Now I'm mad again because I'm like, excuse me? So if we don't pay you this extra, you gonna put? I'm like, sir, do you know how much money we have spent in this hotel? This is your mistake. This is not our mistake. Even if, I don't. First of all, I don't believe that we didn't pay you. I don't know what this chick is printing up. I don't know what she's talking about because she's talking about you change cards and all this shit. I don't know what her story is. She's offering to print out again. I don't care about your printouts because I have a receipt. I said, but. You mean it's if whatever occurred, let's say it was a mistake, let's say whoever the girl that was new didn't charge correctly, that's your mistake. What you should do is say, our mistake, we're sorry for the inconvenience, we'll comp you this last night after we done spent all this money in this hotel, and we're sorry. You offering, you going to put us out, I said, so, I, so at that point, I'm like, okay, okay. So I said, all right, tell you what, that's how we going to handle it. So that's what we did. That he was like trying to make amends. Hey, you want to have some shots? She pissed. She don't want to deal with nobody. She telling everybody. I said, listen, we're going to still write to corporate. We're going to still have our complaints. We're going to still go on the rating. We're going to still tell everybody, don't stay at this hotel. This is what occurred. But if he want to give us free tequila shots, let's take them. Because <laughs> <Like, laughs> we're still going to get our money back because we're still in the right. Let's go. And it ain't really his fault. You know what I mean? So we took the free shots and all that. Whatever. I was all good. I'm like, okay. So, yeah, that's the other thing I want to say. Fuck the Marriott in Bahamas. That bitch that ran. That's the other thing that, it was just, you You could tell 
they was talking to us because they thought we was not white and dumb both of us attorneys sis I'm attorney in New York she's attorney in California we ain't dumb we might be here in shorts and looking like we look but we are not dumb so she kept trying to tell us all this different story then it was first because when we first started complaining she first thing she said was well I want to speak to a manager there's no manager here so she so when she says that she keep so then she was like okay well I'll tell you what so you run that charge all you want to I'm not going to authorize that charge. I'm going to call my bank and tell that bank that I don't authorize my charge. So, because I'm not paying that because I feel like I'm getting scammed because I just paid you yesterday and I don't know what you're talking about that I owe you for another day. So, when she says that, oh, well, let me call the manager. Okay, so now you can call the manager, right? Because you thought we was dumb and we was just going to give you whatever because I don't know who you used to dealing with. Oh, now you can get the manager. So, the manager, and some dude came. We don't know if he was the manager or not. Some dude came. I don't know what he did, because nothing changed, but in the meantime, she was on the phone with corporate, corporate was very nice though, the lady was like, okay you have your receipt, we'll handle this for you just go ahead, you know, play it tonight and we'll and we'll handle it for you fine but, yeah, I just had to tell that part fuck the Bahamas, like, y'all motherfuckers don't know how to treat people, like, sis $250, we done spent damn near $3,000, we done been here a full week we done spent damn near $3,000 in this hotel, and you want, you talking about we gonna have to put y'all out for two fifty dollars a night? You a horrible fucking manager. I hope you get fired. I actually, I'm gonna write the letter. I'm, I'm gonna try real hard to make sure you get fired, because I didn't like your attitude, and you were lying. Um, alright. And I hope you hear this, but I know you won't. But, um, anyway. Don't let the smooth taste fool you. Alright? I, I, I know nonsense when I hear it, and you was talking nonsense. Um, Okay. Yeah, so that's it on the trip. This is running kind of long. Um, so actually, actually running very long. So let me do my real quick um, Queen of the South this week. Hope y'all watching it. It was really good. Brenda been going through. So they went to um, the, the war still going on. Camilla signed Epifanio's divorce papers. Um, he, she's still running around with Weirdo, who I really want her to kill because I don't trust him. They're still going back and forth with the feds. Um, they end up, it's actually, it's a really good episode. So there's this cop that's running around. They had to go to Bolivia to meet this El Santo dude. And this cop, like, makes Brenda snip, snort all this cocaine and, and stuff. Um, and, um, yeah, it was a good episode. Um, at the end, she ends up, she, um, meets Wedo's other girlfriend that she didn't know about, and the other girlfriend didn't know about her. The other girlfriend is tight about it, but Brenda is like, you know, I mean, sorry, Teresa done been through all this shit now. She totally different than when she was dating Wedo, and she just like, sis, look, I don't know what to tell you, but um, you mad at me about this dude, and he was playing both of us, and he was lying to both of us, and I'm just, I don't know what to tell you, but we down here trying to do some business, and I don't really care about this, like, so I don't know what you want to do. <laughs> and so the girl, you know, she meets up with the girl and she like, look, um, if you love him still, then you need to help us because if you don't, then my boss is going to kill him because my boss has heard it's a rat and she don't trust this dude and we got to come down here to show, we came down here to, to, to show and prove what he can do and if we come back without this mission fulfilled, she going to kill him. So if you still give a fuck about him, you need to help us. That's just Teresa, like, whatever. So that works. Um, but they run up on this, this cop, and, um, she, like, 
kills the girl, shoots the girl in the head because she wants him to give her Santo. They ain't met Santo yet, and they like they tell all three of them is telling her, "Look, we don't know him. We came down here to meet him. We ain't met him. All we done ran into you is you harassing us about this dude. We don't know." So she shoots the girl in the head. She pushes um, Teresa in the water, tied to the chair. Teresa about to drown. Um, last second, somebody pulls her up, and um, it ends with her like tied up in these chains, like hanging in this jail. Teresa be going through, dog, through. The girl made a snort all this cocaine, trying to prove that she wasn't the Mexican and the two dudes they looking for. Yo, it's a lot. She went through a lot. It was a good episode, though. Um, yeah, so that's the cliffhanger. Um, on the Queen Sugar, as y'all know, my favorite show, but, like, this whole, um, this whole, um, thing with, with Darla and, 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 and Ralph Angel is starting to get on my nerves because I just think it's a bad relationship. I think that, um, I don't know. I think Ralph Angel is not good for Darla. He's going to make her relapse. I think Darla is doing dumb shit because, you know, she leaving her job and getting fired from her job just because Ralph Angel called. First of all, he talking, he trying to talk her how to go into rehab, what she needs. Um, and she knows she needs. Then, she he calling her at work because he need help scrubbing the, the, the he got the, they got like this infection on the sugar cane and they gotta all clean it no I need you nigga you got 40 50 farmers out here get one more Darla is at work she ain't for what you need help for what so she leaves work and of course she loses her job and so she talking to the boss oh I need it. this job is important to my recovery well then since you shouldn't have left like it's just a very immature relationship um, it's very high schoolish. Both of them seem very um, uh, stunted in their growth and the mentality. I just thought it's just I, it's not a. I don't know. I got. I don't know what's gonna happen, but I need them to get through it. I'm just. I'm over their relationship. Um, Mike is still flipping out from being arrested. He's snapping on the little boy. So Ralph Angel snapping on him. Charlie jumping in his defense. And honestly, like I feel like Ralph Angel was right. Um, Micah, you 17, I mean, I, I, you know, you was in jail, yeah, you got the gun pointed at about you, by the cop, for no reason, you was in jail for like 20 minutes, like, nigga, you acting like you was in two tours and nom, like, like, chill out, you know what I mean, or, or, or relax, or get, whatever, talk it out, whatever you need to do, but like, you, you bugging out about this, which he, he snapping and, and, and smacking, um, blue around, it's, 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 it's on my nerves, Micah's on my nerves, and this relationship with uh, Darla and, and um, Ralph Angel's my nerves. Ralph Angel finally shows a little handwritten will he found to, to Aunt Vi. Because Charlie getting on his nerves because he feel like it's his land. And Charlie keep, you know, overriding his decisions and, and just, you know, getting on his nerves. But, so Aunt Vi, like, Ralph Angel, you, you don't want to do this. You know, this is this is more than you can handle. I don't know if you know what you're getting into. If you're trying to fight, the, you're trying to prove this will over over the will that was at the lawyers. And then, you know, if you want to do it, I hope you equipped. Um, kind of like looking at him like, but I know you're not. And so, in the meantime, from the last week when the um, Landry's was on their property, they called the cops on on Ralph Angel and told him he was firing a gun, which is in violation of his parole. So they show up to the house. And Charlie takes the blame, says it's her gun. She was shooting or whatever, so he don't got to go to jail. And he like, thank you. 
And she like, look, I, you know, whatever we bumping heads, I'm going to have your back. Like, I'm not going to have, have them take you to jail. I don't know. Ralph ain't just kind of getting on my nerves. Like, I get it. Charlie is annoying. And I feel like, you know, she do need to, like, some of the stuff. All the ideas he has aren't bad. Like, he has good ideas, you know. And she could just, like, like with the whole soybeans thing. Like, she, this whole thing. Like, all the man want to do is plant soybeans. It's not going to stop y'all from doing what y'all doing. Let him plant soybeans. But, um. You know, Ralph Angel just he's a very small time. He don't think big. He's not he don't see the vision and he just he trying to be this little small time farmer and it's like, dude, that's not gonna work. Like we, we trying to build something here and we got all these people that we trying to convince to work with us and that are working with us and we trying to, you know, build something for everybody here and you you here on this dumb shit, right? So I don't know, and and if you read the book, you know that Ralph Angel is a huge fuck up in the book, and this guy is so. I guess this is them trying to portray that, and but they've changed it so much that it's unrecognizable. But he is a very annoying character. Like I'm tired of him and Darla. Like too, like snap out of it. So, um, oh, and 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 Vi and Hollywood discuss maybe opening her own restaurant. So. Yeah, that was a little quick and dirty. Um, I'm not going to do the Love and Hip Hop Atlanta reunion. I'll do that next week, only because this has run so long, and I did not intend for it to be this long. So, um, thanks for listening. Thanks for asking Kel's Radio. Episode 110, I'm going to wrap it up, and I don't know what I'm going to call it. I'll have a I'll have a name by the time I post it, as y'all know. Um, at, thanks, um, at thanks underscore for asking without the G on Twitter. You can follow me. Um, our email, if you want to send me an email, um, it's thanks for asking podcast at gmail.com. Please check me out and follow me on Bumpers. Genghis Kel, it's at, it's Bumpers is an app. It's at Genghis Kill. A lot of you have already. Thank you. Um, I also tweet those um, podcast or uh, those little snippets on my personal at, at KMGZ Twitter page. Um, that's also linked to thanks for asking. So you can follow it through there if you ever see me um, tweet one. And those are. Um, smaller snips of what I do here like during the week alright so hope y'all enjoyed it I enjoyed it it's kind of long but I had two weeks so there you go I don't feel so bad about two hours taking up for two weeks um and yeah so see y'all next week peace